I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. to a very special Lost Words podcast. I'm joined by Joe House from the Ringer Network. Joe, hello. Tommy J, what's up, baby? <laughs> that is one of my favourite things, is the energy that you bring to the amount of podcasts that you do. So you are the host of Fairway Rolling with uh, Nate Hubbard there. You are on the Ringer Gambling Show, and you're also um, the host of House of Cards and on Bill Simmons' flagship show as well. So you do so many shows. Uh, you come onto a show like this as well, and it doesn't matter what time of day it is, you bring that kind of energy to every show, and I absolutely love it and appreciate it. Well, there is no shortage of caffeine in my household, <laughs> but uh, it's also always, you know, super fun to to meet new folks like yourself and you know get get to know your corner of the world but we're talking about golf like yeah. what else is there i mean we have the players right in front of us i'm legitimately excited about the tournament and then excited to talk to you about it as well i remember when when i first reached out to joe that um you know I can't, I can't remember exactly which week it was but it was a wednesday start right and and i remember you saying just enjoy the wednesday golf start like we'll talk about the players in, in a couple of months time and but you were just like, just enjoy the Wednesday golf. And I was like, he's just so excited for golf. Loves obviously doing the show, loves making the picks. But generally speaking, from from the vibe that I get, you've just enjoyed golf for a very long time and, and obviously a keen player and, and keen watcher. It's 100% true. I really caught the bug as I got to be kind of a young adult. Um, it really kicked in when I was in law school, which, yeah. you know, um, was reflected perhaps in my, in my grades. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I wish that I'd started when I was younger because by that stage of my life, you know, some of the natural swing intuition that might have been present as a younger um, guy wasn't quite there. I'd already played um, sports that require swinging like tennis and, and, and baseball and, um, you know, throwing sports like football. Uh, I played water polo. So I'd already kind of had a sense of movement um, that might have been you know i i'm coming up with excuses for why i suck at golf tom that's what this is really about you, you are talking to someone that will definitely suck a lot more than you at golf um i very much enjoy it and i enjoy the walk uh, i used to hate it because i'm not very good at being bad at things and i am bad at golf but um i think once you you take it for what it is you you enjoy golf you know as a viewer and, and can get that kind of enjoyment out of that and and Maybe we're good at, you know, handicapping the golf events that actually, you know, if, if we go out and, and suck on the golf course every now and then, then, you know, at least it's time away from the office, time away from, you know, real life. And, and if that's the, the biggest worry is how bad is your golf swing, then uh, things are OK in the world. That's a fact. And, and I will tell you, as I've gotten older and I'm, I'm considerably older than you, my friend, <laughs> um, it, it is a genuine peace of mind exercise for me as well. The, the concentration required to go play golf because that replaces concentration that you have to deploy in other walks of life. It genuinely, um, at this uh, stage of the game for me is very helpful. It's ther therapeutic. Yeah. I, I think it's exactly that. Right. And I think I, I kind of listened to, um, a show that you did on YouTube uh, with a guy that was at your local golf club. Right. And, and you were talking about the fact that you kind of try and get about a hundred rounds in a year. And, 
you know, coming on to later on the show, we talk about juggling sort of time and, and work and, and podcasts. It's amazing that you still find that time to, to do something that you absolutely love. Well, you the, the two important ingredients are to have a wife that loves you <laughs> or there's somebody in your life that can take care of, you know, the household uh, obligations. Uh, I chip in a fair amount, but also, and this is very key for me, um, the fact that I'm my, my own boss um, yeah. in, in my um, daily life, that that's very uh, conducive to all of this. Let, let's talk about that, that early life. And so, um, you know, I, th I think by now, people listening to this podcast will know who you are. But for those that don't, um, let's talk about a little bit of the backstory. You obviously went to college uh, with, with a, a well-known guy named Bill Simmons. Um, you know, I, I think the... The story, I, I find it, you know, really intriguing, just that you guys met in college, um, shared a love for, for basketball and barbecue, I think that you put it, um, and it, it just amazes me that you probably had no idea then what could have happened in the future. No, it is um, one of those funny things in life. It just so happened that he landed, we were on the same floor of the same dorm. Um, I was a year ahead of him in, in college. But he was literally four doors down from me. And somewhere in the first, you know, four or five weeks, we found out that we had first this love of basketball in common. And so we were joining one another and going up to the field house, which was very close to the back door of our dorm. Again, probably to the detriment of our grades. <laughs> but but, you know, it was a, a lifelong um, pursuit. And uh, the the um, food thing came you know, sort of quickly thereafter, because we would go play basketball for several several hours, work up that appetite, <laughs> and then you know, jump in the car and have to go uh, do some eating. But you know, Bill, to his credit, has always had the instinct for you know um, for creativity. He he did, in fact, as a as a freshman on our hall, he he started a newsletter, and he was doing it by hand, handwriting this newsletter and taking pictures of the different um, inhabitants on our floor in all kinds of compromising positions <laughs> and writing articles about, you know, the various things that were happening on the hall. So he had this instinct to be kind of a documentarian of our existence, but with a highly, you know, uh, uh, ironic, you know, funny perspective. And he also immediately upon arriving at college jumped into the school newspaper and landed a column there, jumped into, and this is another thing that we had in common, um, the school radio station. We had a, a, a radio station at, at Holy Cross that broadcast uh, all of Worcester, Massachusetts. I, too, was a, a DJ on that. He was doing sports stuff. I was doing music stuff. But, um, you know, naturally, we uh, compared notes. Uh, he was covering basketball games for, for the school, in fact, as you would expect. Yeah. Um, but so all, all of that fed into his sort of career pursuit, his career ambition, he went right from college into journalism school and then working for the local Boston newspapers. Um, and, you know, we just um, remained the things that, that, that were the, the bond between us, those remained, you know, the, the, the strong things we had in common. And, and, you know, we were um, best of friends from college through college and then into early adult life. Yeah. And I think a lot of what you said there is, you kind of and this obviously isn't the bill simmons show that this is this is talking about yourself joe but it, it's really interesting that you kind of notice from 
an early part of your friendship that he had those intangibles he had those kind of things that would lead to him doing something like this you know not everybody and you just mentioned there that you're on the radio show yourself but not everybody chucks themselves into a school newspaper not everybody does a radio show because some people just want to go to college to go to college and and, and you obviously did all those kind of things and enjoyed the, the finer things at college as well but not everyone wants to make those commitments and put in the hard work whilst not getting necessarily rewarded uh, financially for it um, you know it is something that you have to pursue before you go into into going into it as a professional because to get those reps in as, as you're going to come on and speak about yourself is, is really important that's exactly right and you know to, to your point um, Bill worked really hard both in journalism school and in his early days in doing Boston newspapers and then you know the opportunity presented by the internet of jumping in with both feet at that and you know laboring long hours trying to find his voice trying to find his way um and again with not very much in the way of financial uh remuneration i my own self chose law school as as my path um as a a young adult and i too worked really hard i i went to law school with an idea of doing kind of entertainment law or, or something related to the sports field and it was exploring, you know, those, those kinds of options. But again, you know, long hours and then graduating law school, not very much money. But, you know, the connection with Bill in the very early days, as soon as he had the opportunity to start, you know, sharing his, his perspective, it always included, you know, I talked to this buddy and here's some of the things that we sort of covered ourselves. And then he would share his view. It's always been about uh, at, the, at the guts of his um, content that the friendships and what those friendships, how, how those friendships can, um, you know, impact our, our sort of perspective on sports and life. And I think also, like you say there, it's always important to to remember one way you started. Like I think that's very cliche and, and, and something that maybe gets overused an awful lot. But, you know, he, he will always remember to, to the day he, he stops doing this right. He will always remember the conversations he had with you in college that, that launched this, that launched his interest. You know, if he had no voice to bounce off of, would he wouldn't pursue it? You, you have no idea. And, you know, just, just the fact that he kind of recorded those early, um, you know, phone calls. I listened uh, when he was talking about his, his early starts, uh, even at ESPN, you know, not even having a professional setup when he had Adam Crowler on. Like, they were literally just, you know, phone calls in the driveway type thing. So, um, you know, I think I think there's there's one or two things there is that one, I think he, he's a guy that, that wants to bring up, you know, his friends and, and the people around him that have always helped him be successful. I think, you know, to a lesser extent, maybe that, you know, Pat Mayo does that for us. Like, you know, I'm part of the, of the Mayo Media Network. He's great. Like he his passion is is helping others succeed. Like my my podcast platform has benefited from that. I now get, you know, articles, um, you know, offered to me to, to write and you know and things like that you know that helps you and and i think the greatest success to those guys is is how they've brought up people around them so i think that that's one thing and also just like we say just those reps of of learning and, and i think the one thing i've always thought of is how important was it to be early in the podcast game because as i said to you earlier like you know starting the podcast in, in lockdown was something that i found very easy I, I needed to fill my time i wasn't working and you know it was what can I do? I've always wanted to do it. I've always made excuses not to do it. Now I have no excuse. Um, but how important was it to start in 2007, 2008 when, you know, things were really kicking off, especially in social media um, and, and in the podcasting world? So that was, again, um, full credit to Simmons, um, both his sort of interest in trying new things 
and also his ability to kind of, you know, his vision to take a look at a medium that wasn't very um, widespread, very well adapted, and to, to sort of forecast, um, you know, this is really easy to, to sort of just record a conversation and then make it available to folks to listen to whenever those folks have the time to listen to it. Like th those elements were appealing to him. And also just, you know, it didn't have to be a highly produced, it didn't require a ton of other support um, or infrastructure kind of resources. And so he was really one of the very first people at ESPN to try the technology. And because he um, jumped on it so early, it took a lot of pressure off. He did, there wasn't this expectation when he arrived and was interviewing people um, that it was going to be the most professional interview or that it was going to be you know, ready for television or any of the kinds of things that might create an artificial kind of pressure that might impact the quality or authenticity of his voice. And you know, what was funny was those early days let him go ahead and make some mistakes. He interviewed Tony Stewart from from the NASCAR yeah. circuit, and I think you could still go back and find that. I don't <laughs> I don't think they erased it, but it was a terrible interview, <laughs> and it was terrible because he didn't know anything about NASCAR. He didn't have an interest in it. Tony Stewart didn't know who the hell Bill Simmons was, and did could could have cared less. And so there was no connection there. But that was. Um, a very helpful kind of exercise to go through in those early days to find, you know, the, the path towards, okay, where is the success in this kind of medium going to come from? And one of the things, his natural instinct um, for, you know, always um, had him sort of driven towards was I want to talk to my friends. So he was pulling me in. He was pulling other folks from our friend group in um, our friend, John O'Connell, his buddy, Jacko, who's been on the podcast for the same, you know, 10, 12 years that I've been on it uh, longer than that now. And then um, other folks, um, Jason Buggy, other guys, just uh, Kevin Hench, people that he's met over the years. Um, and then ultimately Cousin Sal and the relationship in 2003 that started and in, in, as, as the podcast really started taking off, that relationship with Cousin Sal has now become, you know, kind of a legendary Sunday night, you know, podcast. He... And those two going through the events of the NFL Sunday, it's one of the, you know, one of my favorite shows to listen to. <laughs> and I know those guys, right? Yeah, I, mean, yeah, exactly that. I just love to listen to it. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Is I think, as I said to you before, sort of before we came on and recorded, that I think the thing that appeals to myself as a listener, um, probably my dad, who, who's a massive fan, and, and even just generally people that I know uh, in the podcasting arena is, is one of the things, it's just so authentic. Like there isn't, you can kind of sniff out people that are trying to force authenticity and people that just are authentic. And, and because you guys have had that same relationship for X amount of years, like, you know, they your characters, right? Your characters in a show, and obviously there's humans behind those characters. It isn't just a character on a TV show, but if you get my drift, it's kind of we, we associate House and, and Cousin Sal and, and Bill Simmons with all these shows um, that, that everyone's just got a way to interact with the, with the episodes themselves. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And again, I just give full credit to Simmons. I just, yeah. you know, it's, it was his instinct. It was his initiative. Um, it was his ambition. And all of that, because it started when it did and how it did, it really allowed us. And we've talked about this now a couple of times. We've used the word reps. We've had so many of these kinds of conversations. And the authenticity comes from 
be knowing exactly where you can, you know, where the needle should come out and, you know, when it's time to tell each other to fuck off <laughs> and, you know, uh, exactly where the soft spots are. And that that's just comes from, from being friends for a long time. So it's, it's been a really fun run. Yeah, and I think, like you say, that that's really important. Like for me, like we've exchanged emails and messages for going on the last couple of months, and you know, I tried to stick very professional, called you Joe for every email, and then eventually I was like, I'm just gonna call you House. Like I know yeah. you as House. Like that's you, right. you like people calling you House. You want people to tweet you saying House. Like why am I calling you Joe? As, as the time I actually get House into that, uh, you know, email chain or into that message, I'm gonna, you know, that's gonna make the connection easier and you know all of a sudden that puts you at ease and, and makes the conversation easier and did you ever think you know on those kind of lines when when Simmons started trying to uh, record the shows instead of actually just being the phone calls that you had did it ever occur to you there was any pressure on you or did you just find it very natural that you know did you ever think oh my god my voice is being recorded this is going to go out people are going to listen to this or was it all just very easy for you so um, I would say kind of both yeah because in the in the one hand on the one hand, um, it was extremely comfortable to just be sitting in my office at my law job <laughs> or sitting, you know, at, at home in the natural place where I would be having a telephone conversation and having that conversation with my friend that was just like every one of thousands of conversations I've had with him o- over the years. The two things that we were careful about when we started doing the show was um, we tried to keep our, our points of views as it related to our um, our interest in girls uh, to a minimum. And we um, because we had, you know, loved ones in our lives and we um, did our best to not, uh, you know, use too many curse words in the early days because we were still kind of finding our way. But really, those were the only limitations I will tell you for the first i don't know how many i didn't think anybody was listening and it might have very well been the case that nobody was listening i don't know but as as time went on and and really this came most apparent when bill you know started he he wrote his first book about the red sox now i can die in peace when the red sox won the world series in 2004 and he went on a book tour and as is often my way, I invited myself to a portion of that just so that, you know, he he had this great opportunity to be touring the country and visiting places and talking to people and meeting with fans. And so it's like, yeah, I, I want to do some of that. Where, where, you know, which part of this tour can I come along on and seeing people um, that did listen to the shows that that were big fans of Bill, huge fans of Bill because of his writing. And he was still very, very avid and active writer on what was then the page two um, side of, of the ESPN website and then on into to Grantland as time went on as, as, as he continued to, to publish another couple books. But, um, you know, just encountering folks and, and having them say, house, house, you know, they knew me from the <laughs> columns, but also like from, from those podcasts. It was um, uh, a, a, a cool experience to um, get to meet people but also like the the experience of oh wow people are listening to these things they're making references to, to conversations that we've had uh you know a little bit of pressure to try and 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 you know make it still something that's entertaining for everybody um but for the most part you know it's just a natural relationship of 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 me and simmons and simmons with all of the folks in his stable that he's comfortable with um that's appealing to everybody it seems yeah, and I think just from kind of my own kind of personal uh, point of view, like I remember doing the first one, and I'd kind of done a couple of test ones with with a couple of golfers, and and 
I was always taken aback. Like I, I spent March 2020 and April 2020 just getting as many messages out to golfers that I would not just any golfer, but the ones that I wanted to talk to, ones that I thought had a good story to tell, ones that maybe had just won or were looking for their first win, um, you know. And and I was just kind of taken aback by who said yes and who said no, or like who just didn't respond at all. Like there was like a, I had Kevin Strillman, top 50 golfer in the world, absolutely, you know, really enjoyed it, loved the experience, and I was like. But then you get another guy that's 500th in the world that says, no, I don't want to do it. And you're like, this is weird. And you kind of have to battle kind of rejection and then don't get starstruck or phased if someone does come on because they're just regular guys. Like When I reach yeah. out to you, I'm like, you know, he's not going to want to come on this podcast. And then, you know, a day later, you come back and say, I'd love to do it. And it's like, wow, like, don't don't make the moment any more difficult than it is for yourself because eventually it's just a conversation it's going to be your subject matter that we like we, we're going to talk about golf that's that's what we're here to do um so why complicate things and you know as much as there are listeners out there and i guess like when there's picks and and they go right or wrong there's a, a little bit of self-inflicted pressure i suppose but ultimately you're you're educating people and providing entertainment especially on your uh, side of things that you know the people are going to listen and tune in regardless of the result yeah, hopefully everybody understands that the principal purpose of the shows is entertainment and then and not, you know, taking expansive amounts of money and allocating it to, to any of these things. It's it's literally gambling. So yeah. it means, you know, it has to be an amount of money that's discretionary money that you're comfortable losing because, you know, the, the, the point of this always is to win our bets but it's extraordinarily hard as you know uh, all all too well so hopefully the the entertainment part is the, is the key yeah absolutely I, I completely agree just just to i don't want to tread over old ground too much but you know you do have a day job like you know it's, it's not full-time uh ringer i know you're obviously your own boss now it's a consulting firm as far as i know and you know, that does allow you sort of creative freedom, it does allow you to be available for podcasts, and I'm very grateful that you put an hour of your time to me uh, in doing that. Um, how hard is it? Because when I say to people, you know, I do the podcast, I do three articles a week, I do a university degree on the side, and, and, you know, and I go to work, people are like, how have you got time to do that? And I go, well, I'm only actually researching two golf tournaments a week. I do the DP World Tour, I do the PGA Tour, and you'll be amazed not how quickly you can get through it, but how you can kind of do that on a Sunday night or a Monday whilst you're watching the golf and, you know, get that all done and out of the way and, and be fully prepped by Monday that, you know, you kind of got the rest of the week once you've made your shows. But in your, you know, in your situation, your golf, NBA, NFL, baseball, everything, you, you kind of, you kind of, and you've got a house of carbs and things like that as well. How do you kind of juggle the research of all of those? And do any one of them suffer because you have to juggle so many? Um, well, I hope my business partner does not think that the, the day, day job suffers, the, the main partner that I have um, for, for the consulting business. Uh, but, you know, the, the it, it is hard. It just needs to be a labor of love. You have to love doing it. You have to love doing that research for, you know, like I taped um, the NBA show earlier today with John Jastrzemski. I'm doing, you know, a Tuesday, Friday going on the the ringer gambling show um now that the football season is in our rearview mirror and talking about nba although jj and i compared notes on on the golf but you know i'm naturally interested in the matchups of of the evening so like tonight you know this this tuesday evening um that we recorded the show earlier today i'm genuinely we're, we're in the home stretch with the nba and i'm very excited to see how these playoffs are going to play out 
So it's like, let me look and see, you know, how these matchups kind of line up, how these teams are positioning themselves potentially for the playoffs. And that's just, you know, the sort of the NBA side of it. The players, on the other hand, is is awesome. I'm so excited <laughs> to be in this moment. I said on, on the Fairway Rolling podcast we taped with Pat Mayo and, and my co-host Nathan Hubbard yesterday, I I love the players all of a sudden. I don't know when it happened. Um, and I feel like maybe there is just this um, uptick in overall enthusiasm and energy that's coming from a lot of different places. Maybe it's because of, of all of the options now for gambling in the United States. I just see all of this up, upswell of momentum as it relates to golf. And there was such enthusiasm already on Sunday as soon as the Arnold Palmer Invitational ended and the Puerto Rico event as well. We don't want to forget <laughs> about that. Um there was a ton of information already online and people expressing with shows up. Pat Mayo had a show up already, you know, Sunday. So going into Monday. So that makes it uh, again, that just the enthusiasm for it makes it a, a labor of love. Um, the food is, is very easy. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's near dear to my heart. I haven't missed a meal uh, in, in, in any, <laughs> in any recent memory. So um, that, that, and we have coming up, in March, we're going to be talking about some underrated, underrepresented cities here in the United States, college towns with, with um, you know, uh, under uh, publicized food scenes. That's going to be how we, we, we tackle some succulent Cinderella story, March Madness here, um, coincident with the, the, the college basketball tournament. Um, but, you know, the, the, the day job, in, in its own self is its own pursuit and something that I very much love. I love doing it. I love being my own boss. I've, I was um, in the federal government working for an agency here in the United States from the early 2000s all the way up until 2010. And then I've been lucky enough to have this consulting business since 2010. So it's 12 years now and work with some great partners and, and, and some um, dedicated folks that I get along with. That's the most important part <laughs> that I trust and that, you know, we, we have a mutual interest in, you know, doing the best we can for our clients and the clients seem to um, like what we give them in return because we get uh, repeat business. So, you know, fingers crossed, I'll, I'll keep doing that as long as it's viable and, and reasonable. Um, I don't see uh, CBS or NBC or um, ESPN offering me five million bucks a year to come, you know, <laughs> be a television person. And that's OK. So I, I'm, I'm very happy to keep the day job. Yeah, no, and and that's great. Like I think, like you say, it, it's loving both things, and and I think if you if you don't love your day job, it, it can make it harder to go back in the evening and, and enjoy you know getting up for sports because you you know you're mentally fatigued from you know being at work all day and not enjoying it. So as long as you can enjoy both parts, and you know it does make things very very easy. So talking about the players then um first of all fairway rolling is a show that you know you do with nathan hubbard as you said there nathan is boots on the ground he is mark hubbard's older brother um and interestingly enough it didn't actually start with you two guys um i always wondered whether you went to to bill with the idea of starting a golf show or not and i've kind of heard as, as i've been doing research for this that actually it was callaway and jeff shackleford that came uh to, to bill and, and wanted to do a golf show and actually you know he put you forward uh to co-host that with jeff 
Yeah, that's exactly right. Again, another thing that I owe to Bill Simmons. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, um, Jeff Shackelford, who who um, I got along with right away, um, I kind of held him, you know, I was a little bit uh, starstruck at the, at the very beginning because he's uh, uh, a luminary in the golf journalism world. And he had carved out for himself, you know, a real space as being um, like a, a, an injector of truth serum into um, the, 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 the tour community and has always had sort of a, 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 an ironic point of view as it relates to, you know, and a skeptical point of view and a healthy yeah. skepticism when it comes to um, professional golf. And he absolutely adores the game of golf. It's in his blood. It's in his DNA. And so when I was first introduced to him, um, so he, he was working with Callaway at the time as kind of a media person with Callaway. And, you know, when Callaway pitched the podcast, um, they said, hey, you, you know, you've heard of Shackelford. I'm like, hey, yeah, yeah, I've heard of Shackelford. <laughs> I'm a little intimidated, to be honest with you. But um, we had a couple conversations to start. We did kind of a test podcast. Um, we got along swimmingly. Um, he understood my passion for the game and my passion for, you know, both participating, but also, you know, I, I've been – um, participating in like fantasy golf and gambling on golf from a very early, you know, what way before any of these markets existed in this sophisticated form in which they exist now. It was back back when you had to know a guy who knew a guy. <laughs> uh, and fortunately, I knew a couple guys. So that, that was, we, you know, in, in my 20s, I was able to get a little bit of action down. Um, but all of those things made for sort of a natural relationship between Jeff and I, and it came through, you know, it was kind of this uh, shtick of, of Jeff as the, the seasoned journalism journalist uh, uh, in the golf community, and me as just the regular guy off the street and looking for, for guidance from Jeff, um, but also, you know, comparing our own perspectives, and it was really fun um, to do it, and the only reason that it ended is because Jeff's relationship with Callaway um, right. ended when it ended, and, you know, um, Ringer and Callaway decided to keep going forward with with um, golf as as a subject matter for podcasts, and I was lucky enough, you know, for them to say, yeah, why don't you keep going forward? And Nathan and I have been friends for a long time. Nathan and Bill are friends. Nathan and Bill's relationship precedes my relationship with Nathan, but we I can't remember when we met in the early two thousand, um, like you know, sometime two thousand ten, two thousand twelve, in that time frame. I feel like. But Nathan and I hit it off immediately, and we've always um, had this natural interest in golf. And his brother, you know, because of the success of his brother, um, Nathan's been acutely attuned to, to professional golf, uh, especially even, you know, as his brother was playing in college and then rising up the ranks professionally. Um, that was the era in which Nathan and I got to be pals. So he, it was a very natural um, combination for the for the two of us, and it really started um, in earnest during the pandemic, when Nathan was able, because of his own circumstances with his own day job, to make the commitment to come on and and you know become um, a co-host of the show, and and because again we're we're very good friends, and I hope it comes through in in the in the podcast. Yeah, it's very easy conversation. Yeah, I think I think like we've we've said, it's very consistent across. You know, especially the shows that you do with with Bill, with with Nathan, with you know with cousin Sal, with with all the gambling shows that you do. That 
it's just so like it's just so easy listening like there's no force you know to it there's no um i think you you kind of have that persona of everyone i think you're very kind of accommodating to people but um it's not easy to do like it's, it's not it's not easy to just be completely natural people and it does take some friendships to it and i think there's a couple of things i want to go back on from what you said there is is firstly how important do you think it is for the podcast for fairway rolling to have Nathan, in you know, as boots on the ground, as you always kind of put it on your show, um, being in and around the tour and, and close to it. It's been extraordinarily useful and helpful. And, you know, he has a perspective. There are many times where he will say to me, either in advance of the show or on the show, I can't say this. Yeah. I can't tell you about this thing that's going on or this um, perspective. But let's walk up to it let's walk up to the edge of this particular phenomena this dynamic this story this this um news about this player and let that sort of inform you know how we treat this topic um and and that's been something that that um has just been terrific and i would not have imagined going into it that it was going to be as sort of productive now i mean um you know, Nathan is a, is an insanely smart guy, and so we would have we, we'd be having the same kinds of conversations. Right. But the the you know the unique insider um, access, even though it's not necessarily like here's this insider angle on every single show, it's just just having the certainty to tell to tell um, certain aspects of stories where we know what we're talking about, and by we I mean Nathan. Um, that, that's a that's a very very helpful um, contribution to again I think the quality of the show. Yeah, I, I think so too. And and I always wonder if, and I don't think you guys do let it happen, but I always wonder if if you can almost know too much and it can lead you astray. Like if he if he knows a guy has been playing very very well or is talking very confidently about his game on the range or in in, in mark circle or anything like that it, it can kind of encourage you to to place a bet down and all of a sudden he struggles and you're like well you know nathan told me this was you know this was all good and, and the player was sounding off and we quite often hear that the players do kind of not lie to themselves but certainly encourage themselves and and talk themselves up so sometimes i think you can almost dive in too much and know too much as well i don't know if that was ever a case I will tell you, I learned this lesson very early on. I had this experience with Jeff Shackelford, in fact, like in 2016, I think it was, when um, the tour was at Riviera, and Jeff, because of the access that he had as a journalist, was able to walk with Jordan Spieth. And, you know, this is one of the, like, the, the first two or three podcasts that we did together, I think. Uh, he walked with Jordan Spieth, and he and and he came on. He came back, and he's like, "I got to tell you, I, he's absolutely striped. This is I haven't seen him hit the ball this well under any circumstances." And I was like, "Great, this is the kind of insider stuff we're going to leverage. We're going to go make yeah. some money, buddy. Let's get going here." And Jordan Spieth promptly went out, shit the bed, and missed the cut. So it was like, you know, I'm so glad I learned this lesson because we don't even. The only thing that Nathan and I might traffic in that might affect how we gamble on stuff is is like injury, right? Yeah. And he doesn't tend to um, have access to injury information that's superior to you know the rest of, of, of the public. You know, the market has gotten so sophisticated now. If anybody is is you know dinged up even a little bit, the market tends to to you know reflect that information. And so um, 
there, there's almost no, I can't think of an instance where he said, you know, he, he, he might sometimes sort of confirm, yeah, I can, I can tell you this guy, you know, is in good form right now. And it's reflected by the results that we're watching. And we're looking at all the analytics. We're looking at the strokes gained information. And it's like, it's all borne out. And he can also say, and this guy's like in a happy place in his life, or this guy is, you know, um, the, the, he's, he really is feeling it right now. There's a couple of guys in the circle, guys like Joel Damon, guys like Max Homa, um, who o- over time, you know, he's gotten to know because of the relationship um, from from his brother. And sometimes those guys, we can, we know whether or not they're they're comfortable with a particular thing. But it's we're we're not like sitting on the podcast giving those guys out on a weekly basis because it's golf and golf is hard and the variables are infinite and any anything can go wrong at any given time and so you just don't gamble that way no and i remember learning it the, the hard way myself I, I went to the bmw pj championship at wentworth which is the kind of flagship event on the european tour at the time and it was a couple of weeks before justin rose won at merion for the us open and i remember watching him on the practice uh, the practice putting green and he could not make a three foot putt he could not make a four oh. foot putt he could not make a five foot putt and then he was you know he was striping it all around wentworth got to the green couldn't make a putt and i was like this guy can't win a us open like, he, was be- he was being touted as a- had a great chance and you're like no yeah. you know and i love justin rose and i was like no he's not going to do it he can't putt and on the same sort of lines as and i quickly learned this that when you're not very good at golf and you watch a professional golfer practice on the range or even just hit one off the tee they're all going to look very very good so do not get sucked into the fact that someone's swing looks absolutely beautiful because they all do and there was a uh, a french player on the european tour called gregory board who is who does have a nice swing and i, I convinced myself that he was going to win this this bmw pga by five strokes because the way he was striking on the range and you know he played okay but you, you do kind of get this kind of um i don't know you kind of uh, it's kind of like you, you kind of play your own galaxy brain and you know you kind yes. of teach yourself into thinking that something's going right for you and now i kind of just block out that noise but um the other thing on his touch point was was how important was the i think that there was always a bit of a taboo around um you know because sports betting has always been something that's been well talked about in america and states allowing it and where you can do it and and like you said it's, it's only on an upward trajectory and we're all going in the right direction but I think even golf in particular was very stuffy about it. And I think how important was it that that's kind of, um, you know, immersed, they're immersing themselves in it now. The PJ Tour are, are kind of getting involved in it because they have to, right? And there's, there's so many opportunities for them and for us as as viewers and, uh, and gamblers to uh, all get involved together. Yeah, I um, will not give the tour too much credit. Uh, you know, I, I find the tour as, and uh, in, in especially in this sort of, I'll answer your question directly as it relates to the gambling. As usual, they're about, you know, three or four years <laughs> yeah. behind the curve. And as usual, taking a sort of very down the middle conservative kind of approach that, you know, really doesn't fit what the audience um, is, is w- would find most satisfying. Um but you know, they're 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 doing fine. Nobody's gonna you know shed any tears for the success of of, of the tour, lack thereof, no. as it relates to like the early days of gambling. It's just there's been a very sophisticated DFS um, daily fantasy market around um, golf that's now a half de- half decade old, if not if not older than yeah. that. Right? Yeah. It's like it, it, we're, we're people who like um, professional golf and you know. Tr- 
track it because of their interest in first the the fantasy opportunity and then secondly the gambling opportunity though these this is such a knowledgeable community the um and this has been occurring now for for a couple of years people hear things on broadcast that they know are dead wrong <laughs> yeah. and call out we were talking about this with mayo on the show yesterday did, like yeah. they're saying stuff on on the show you know, on the broadcast on on NBC network television, that just is factually dead wrong. And immediately, the golf community on on Twitter, everybody that that is actively tracking this stuff, is familiar with the analytics, familiar with the data, is on Twitter hammering these guys. You know, these these guys, these sixty year old white guys, telling <laughs> us you know this nonsense stuff about you know how people have performed. So in that respect, I I really appreciate the sophistication of the community the pga tour might get around to it the pga tour is very excited about licensing it's stupid shot link it's it's stuff because they're going to try and get people to bet um from swing to swing i don't think i'm ever going to do that i don't have any interest in it there's too much variance it's still it's a great way to to lose your money to try and gamble (laughs) like hold a hole or swing to swing um but you know if it if it if it's a rising tide that that um provides all of us more information around, you know, um, how things are going, then, I, then I'll be into it. And if it's another vehicle by which um, we can watch the players that we want to watch, we can see more golf, that I'm absolutely in favor of. And I think that's where the pressure's coming from. Like, you know, the Players' Championship this week, they've got cameras in every hole, every player's mic's up, every player's available, right? And and that's very easy to do when it's in Ponte Vedra and that's at their, their, their HQ. And to your point, you know, Pat was always making the joke about the fact they were saying that Victor Hovland's improved his around the green game and he'd lost strokes in, you know, 11 of the last 12 events or whatever it was in six straight. So um, those things come up all the time. I'm always constantly, we've got Sky Sports Golf over here and I'm constantly shouting at, you know, Wayne Riley and Nick Doherty yeah. because they're saying that, you know, Bob McIntyre is an excellent putter and it's like no, no he's not he's like 85th on tour in strokes game putting but you know they're they're it's like a confirmation bias they see these guys yes. whenever they're on the tv screens it's normally because they're in contention so of course they look like they're playing well um but I think the fact that they're just the fact they're embracing it means that I hope eventually they're going to make the right hires like I think that there was a car crash tv when they first introduced the 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 three guys talking about betting and and it's not their fault like the guys that were presenting it aren't gamblers they're not sophisticated in that area and they were kind of saying like you know this this odds means that this guy is the favorite on the whole and it's like no it doesn't it does not mean that at all like what are you talking about he is not even plus money he is not the underdog what what are you talking about he is the favorite by an absolute mile to win this hole um so there is there is the frustrations to that but i think that's kind of brought the community together like we all kind of enjoy kind of piling on the tv uh, broadcast um, added you know, to our entertainment it has yeah you know if, if they weren't making these horrendous mistakes every every tournament what would we talk about so um <laughs> it, it's funny but like you say it is frustrating as well like, especially for, for someone like you like you know you've been in this industry for an awful long time um you know you you provide um you know weekly information and data to, to an audience out there and then you have to kind of let them go and watch a broadcast that isn't up to standard it is kind of it's kind of frustrating from that respect. But like you say, there's a lot of uh, enthusiasm for the Players' Championship this week. Um, hopefully, it's not going to get rained out. It's, it's kind of looking uh, decidedly dodgy as, as the weather forecasts carry on. Um, I've tried to kind of not let that bias uh, my selections too much because otherwise I'll just talk myself out of betting anyone that's not named Shane Lowry. Folks, spring is right around the corner. And you know what that means? The Masters is coming. 
It also means that it's time for a tidy up in your pants and our friends at Manscaped have the best tools for some spring cleaning. Trust me, your confidence will be blooming like the azaleas at Augusta and like that beautiful course in Georgia, you're going to want to feel and look your best in time to sit down and watch the biggest event of the golfing calendar. It's time to clear out that winter bush and join 4 million men who trust Manscaped. Use code LFW20 to get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Manscaped are the global leaders in men's below the waist grooming and have forever changed the grooming game with their amazing Performance Package 4.0. Inside this ball care bundle, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your goodies. The Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is a pube assassin that is waterproof and equipped with an LED light, so you bet. It's a major key to the new shower routine as you sit down to watch the major championship. You all were a consensus selection on Colin Morikawa on the Fairway Rolling show. Um, I'm just going to add to that, so that that kind of makes uh, four of us. <laughs> oh, I thought you had a contrarian position <laughs> yeah. for me. I wanted to hear it, TJ. I do have them a, a further along the line, which is uh, is probably where I get myself in trouble. But uh, but Colin Morikawa has kind of been someone I've circled for this for a long time, and his odds have been shrinking. He's actually kind of joint favourite now, um, I believe. I'm just going to bring up the Fanduel uh, odds because I know you guys use those shows, uh, use those odds over there on your show. Um, so it's Colin Morikawa, John Rahm at 13 to one, Justin Thomas 15 to one. Um, as we said there, we, we kind of all like Colin Morikawa. The, the thing with those three guys, and, and that's kind of grouping uh, Victor Hovland to that as well, they've kind of all got the one thing that they kind of need to go for them. So, ironically, Colin Morikawa is normally, everyone focuses on the putting. It's actually his around the green game that, that needs some work at the moment. Uh, John Rahm just needs to find his putter. If he, if he starts putting better, he, he's going to win. Uh, Justin Thomas is very much the same. And Victor Hovland is just not good around the greens. And if he doesn't hit them like he normally does, to be fair to him, um, he is going to struggle. So when you, I, I know personally just from listening to yourself, you, you don't like to get too heavily involved in outright bets because the the odds probably don't represent the, the true probability of them winning and you prefer sort of matchup bets and placement bets. But if you're looking for an outright selection, are you looking for guys that are, you know, stroke, you know, trending really nicely in, in tee to green and approach and, and, you know, just gambling on the fact they could putt well that week? Because that's generally what people subscribe to. Yes. I mean, it's it's all of the the above, right? It's um, always a combination of form and history for me. What yeah. what how has this um, player performed in the past at this venue and how is this player trending at the moment those are the two fundamental starting points and then you can apply all kinds of filters i mean god god bless all of the um, golf analytics folks out there right now and they're the models that that you can you know subscribe to and, and participate in mayo has fantasy national rick gaiman has his own um, model yeah. the nato golf guys have a model and you can go ahead and and in this day and age um you know to Use their models and input their particular, you know, customize it to what you think is going to be the most important attributes for the week, and, and then try and build, you know, some uh, uh, a little bit more of a reasonable judgment around who's going to do what. Except for it's golf, so the models are for shit, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Like, and especially in this tournament, the variance at this tournament, for whatever reason. Is, is is insane, right? They're, they're, it's just as likely that guys are going to miss the cut as as perform in the top ten 
this tournament in particular carries that variance more than any other event on tour, it seems. Yeah, and, and that's kind of how I've shaped my card. Like I've taken two guys and you know listened to your show and listened to your general um, takes on things in general. I think you'll kind of almost agree with what I'm going to say here, but um, I've kind of gone uh, volatility in the fact that I've just taken Dustin Johnson and, and Brooks Kepka at forty to one and, and nearly fifty to one on, on Brooks's case because you know people just think that they're not very good right now, and I think that there's in Dustin's case he's not to the you know the world number one standard that he was but his ceiling is very very high and his floor is is decent enough that he can still go through right but um i always thought and at those odds yeah that's a true representation of the probability that you're getting a fair value for dustin at that price that's all yeah and and that's the thing that i can't look at uh, i mean people used to talk about rory mcrory whenever he's 20 to 1 you just bet him and you know, we're talking about Dustin Johnson at forty to one, who yeah. still, you know, wins tournaments at a, a better clip than, than most people. I know Morikawa has obviously come into that uh, into his own since he's come on tour, and um, you know, but one of the things I always talk about on on my show is kind of like the hidden course form, and you know, if you just look at what Brooks Koepka's done at the Players' Championship, he missed his cut on debut, and then he he went thirty fifth, sixteenth, eleventh, and fifty sixth, and and everyone kind of goes, oh, well, he's never finished inside the top ten, he's never kind of looked like he's contending. Well, when he missed his cut on debut, he actually shot a sixty second in the sixty uh, seventh in the second round, um, after shooting a seventy eight in the first round, so he massively improved. Um, on his first round performance the second year when he was 35th he, he shot a 66 on the opening day and a 70 on the second day to sit 12th at the halfway stage and when he was 16th he was pretty steady all week 11th he shot a course record 63 on the final day and and when he was 56th even he, he never really had a bad round so I think when people just look at course form and just course numbers themselves they can very easily just talk themselves out of a guy because it doesn't look that impressive but when you actually dive into how they got to those numbers at the end, um, it's actually very important. It's a great observation, and one of the things that makes me especially compelled um, as it relates to Kepka this week, he's gained strokes on the field every year since 2015. That's yeah. a guy, you know, uh, that that I very much his. He, you talk about high ceiling. I mean, who, who's going to like a 3.6 million dollar, you <laughs> yeah. know, uh, first place? Uh, giant fake check better than, than than brooks kepka he's motivated and you know he I, I i don't um attribute any um bad marks to the fact that he has a couple missed cuts um since the beginning of the year what i'm focused on is his performance at the venues that he's comfortable with and i'd like to see him playing well in florida and he he pulled off a top 20 at the honda you know notwithstanding the sort of the conditions and you could see him not in form and still you know, uh, uh, an inform um, performance at a Florida venue. Yes, sir. Let me have Brooks Kepka at 35 or 38 or 40 to one. And, and that's the thing, right? He was seventh in Phoenix off the tee, 17th in the Honda off the tee, and he was 26th both weeks in strokes gain approach. So all this kind of Brooks Kepka's out of form. His ball striking is actually fine. Like it's not, it's not to Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa, and John Rahm's level, but that's that's fairly well respect uh you know represented in his uh 42 or 38 in the price, or, yeah for sure like, yeah and you know is it three times less likely that brooks kepka wins this tournament to, to colin morikawa or john rahm no i don't think so especially when you know things can change so quickly so that would be that was to me like both of those guys i mean even dustin johnson he was a round one leader here in 2018 he opened with a 66 and he was third after 54 holes like i think these things just get forgotten because 
you know, he's only had that one top ten, and it was a fifth. And 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 someone said to me the other day, like, oh, he's only had one top ten. I was like, and I went through the guys that had kind of won here recently. I think it was like yeah. Webb Simpson, Siwoo Kim, um, Martin Keimer, and maybe Matt Cooch. And I was like, what do all of those have in common? He's like, you're going to tell me they never had a top ten before they won here. And I was like, exactly. That's they, right. They, they never yeah. had one. Like, let's, it, I, like, let's play this game. There's one, only one player that's had back-to-back top 10 finishes on the last two events. Do you know who that is? At, at, at the players? or at, Yeah, at the players. It's Brian, it's, it's Brian oh, Harmon. So, so you do the research. So I, 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 should, <laughs> I, I should have put that to... I would have tried to get Mayo with that. Right, it's it, Brian Harmon. And, and that kind of speaks to the point, right, that... So I put him in my selections, Brian Harmon, because I, I, I don't really subscribe to people being... Uh, long shots winning here, but yeah. if, if it's going to be one, and, and the other thing with Brian Harmon as well, you, you hear that stat, and, and Sobel put it out uh, a couple of years ago, and it's always remained and it's always used is that you know, no one's won at the Players' Championship without finishing tied 22nd the start before. And it's yeah. like, so then when someone does it this week and they finish tied 34th the week before or the start before. You're going to say that, and then when it goes to 46th, you're going to say that, and right. eventually someone's going to miss a cut and do it. And and yes. with Brian Harmon's uh, in particular, he was actually in pretty poor form uh, in 2019. He missed his two cuts going in, and he missed five of the first seven on that year. Um, and in in 2021, he would finish tied 39th and tied 43rd going in, and had one top 10 to his name in that year, and that was at the American Express when he was tied eighth. Whereas this time around, he was third at the American Express and 14th at the Phoenix Open. Like all of a sudden, he's actually in the best form he's ever been in leading into this event, um, and and people just don't believe he can win, and and it is hard to see him win. Like, that's right. Now, now I'm worried. Now, I yeah. mean, I'm going to bet him in the top 20, but now I'm worried. The other thing that I, and I interrupted you, but I just no. want to make you, have you understand this. We're going to exchange numbers after this because I want to text you each, each week now and say, you know, you're, you're, you're the level of, of detail that you're into is the level of detail that very almost never comes through on the show when Nathan <laughs> and I are doing it. But it's that level of research that I have in front of me that's helping get on there and then blather like an idiot so um i just wanted you to know that we're going to be text buddies when it comes to the golf community here after this i like that and i think i think that's the funny thing is that people don't see um the the level of research that does go into that right because you can't always get it over in you know i've kept you for an hour already and you can't always get that into um into one show but do you even subscribe to like the course correlation things like pete died at courses and things like that or do you think there's kind of like uh, paralysis by analysis eventually no i i do I, I think there is you know it's data it's it's just information and as you're trying to if you come in understanding that you're going to lose all of your money if that's the yeah. starting point <laughs> that you come in with then you're trying to just you know squeeze down the risk right you start with this open proposition i'm going to lose all of my money and now let me try and do some you know use a, a handful of of sort of um, data points to to try and, and reduce the risk of losing all of my yeah. money understanding i'm probably going to lose all my money but you know and then you just layer in layer and layer in so i think the course correlation the pb the pete die you know success of pete die um things all of those things are are data points that you can sort of factor in way to your own judgment and and and, and satisfaction but they're i think i think they're all interesting yeah, absolutely. I'm going to quickly go to the other two guys that I did in my outright. So I went with Shane Larry because I think he's... I've always kind of dogged on Shane Larry. I've always kind of said that he's not a big enough price in the outright market. It's never reflected yeah. his true value because people like the name Shane Larry. Like he was... 
He was a big guy on the European tour. Everybody loved him. He won his uh, you know, home open as an amateur. Then he yeah. goes and wins the WGC at Firestone. And, and that, that kind of gave him a, a false number for two or three years. Then yes. he did win the Open Championship. You're like, okay, right, let's um, you know, take him more seriously again. And then he doesn't win anything after that. And you think, okay, well, what happens? But eventually, he's actually become really steady kind of this season his t to green numbers he's actually um i've been kind of tracking him over the last kind of nine weeks because that's the start of the the calendar year and and he's first in t to green and i want a guy that's doing that like he's accurate off the tee he's you know he's decently long his irons are great he's played well at the heritage which is another pete die design and, and he's played well here right so um even like he was he sat third after round one last year uh, he broke 70 both times over the weekend. It was just a bad Friday that kind of stopped him from finishing better than 8th. And even when he was 16th in 2016, he opened with a 65-68 to sit second after 36 holes and, and just shot a 78 in the third round. So, um, again, that's kind of just one of those things that I think... And I don't think people need to be told about Shane Larry. I think people make their own minds up about him. And when there's a bit of wind and rain, it's kind of plug Shane Larry in. But i just like to go a little bit further in to see how he got it. And the other guy uh, in Garcia is... We talk about like these Tiger Woods stats all the time and how ludicrous they are. He's played this event 22 times. He's never missed it since he made his debut, and he's yeah. made 20 cuts. Yes. Like if I want a guy that is, if it's going to get really dangerously, you know, wet or rainy or windy or whatever over the weekend, I'll take the guy that knows this course better than anybody in this field. Um, I bet him last year at 90 to one, and he's not playing as well, and he's slightly shorter, but. You know, he had a two-stroke lead after round one last year. He was sat third after 36 holes, ninth at the end. And he's not playing great. But And, and the one tidbit I did get, a guy that I do the, the DraftKings show with, he um, works for Golf WRX, and the guy said that he changed his irons to muscle-back irons, and since oh. then he's he's not hit the ball so well. So that's a, a tidbit maybe as to why he's not striking the ball as well. But um, again, uh, to the point, is that he just, if you're looking for someone that's safe, he seems to be the guy that you'd want to get through the cut line. Yeah, we, we, we talk about the horses for the courses. Yeah. Nobody is a better horse than Sergio at, at, at this course. I thought that I was going to have something, you know, I would, to contribute, but you went through the whole Shane Lowry. The thing about Lowry that's interesting to me is he is at that price where the risk reward is in equilibrium, right? I, I have him at 36 to 1. That's worth, you know, going ahead and making a small investment in him to win outright. That's the caliber. When, when I'm looking at outrights, I might do something um, on the on the favorites because that's who I want to root for in a week. Like, that's yeah. what I've done with Morikawa. Um, I just I like the narrative as much as I like the talent. And, and so I did a whole sort of thing around Morikawa. Um, but Shane Lowry, that's there's value that that the Shane Lowry, the Brooks Kepka, when you start to get into that 35 to 45 to one class now, now you're talking. Now, I have other guys that I'm going to play in that top 20 um, kind of range, guys like Alex Norin, guys like Abe Anser, because they, you know, they show they hit a bunch of the sort of metrics that we've talked about um, for this. They have that you don't need to be a super long hitter here. Um, I like the grinder sort of aspect of both of them. Um, Abe Anser's performed well on Pete Dye courses. Yes. Alex Noren's fine in Florida. He's comfortable playing in Florida, played um, well uh, at the Honda, fifth at the Honda. So, you know, those are the guys that sort of I sort of round up my, my card with, you know, further down. I look for matchup opportunities where it's just head-to-heads with those guys going up against guys that I don't, you know, consider to be in, in as, as, as good a form or as comfortable 
perhaps at this venue. Um, so that's kind of how I ran up my card. Yeah, and, and I've hovered over Alex Noren here again because I knew he was a guy that you liked. And I think that Honda uh, finish, he was tied fifth there, wasn't he, right? And I think yeah. that was really important because I, over the last two years since probably the lockdown, Alex Noren's kind of reinvented himself as more of a PGA Tour-esque player. So what I mean by that is when he was on the DP World Tour, he was he was that grinder and he would win those really tough tournaments and you'd see him go and contend at an open championship and then he'd come over at Riviera and Honda and Bay Hill and you'd expect him to play well if he got tougher and and then he kind of started contending at like the 3M and you're like okay well this isn't what Alex Noren does he doesn't get to 25 28 under par and, and and do those sort of things so I think it was important for him to go back um to, to what he does best and again he was 10th on his debut here now he was third after day one, fifth after day two, seventh after day three. So he got progressively worse, but he was steady all the way throughout. And then the second start, 17th. He was one of the co-leaders after the first day, fifth after the second day. Had a terrible Saturday, shot a 77. Um, and then come right back and, and bounce back with a 66 on Sunday. So although there's been those two missed cuts since it's been in March, I'm not too worried because I think the form's kind of come back to life. Um, so I really like the top 20 on him. Um, I think the people will get kind of stuck into to maybe taking him as, as an outright, but I think the value definitely is in the placement market. And the other thing I like him in is to be the top Swede because Ooh. he's going up against Stenson and Norlander, and I don't te- you know, I don't tend to get involved in these kind of top nationality markets too often, yeah. and certainly not when they're such a heavy favourite. He's like minus one sixty five, but right. you know Norlander and you know Norlander isn't a player that you would expect to make the cut. Henrik yeah. Stenson has had his day, and you know kind of got caught out thinking that he made a little run on the, on the DP World Tour last year and it looked like he was coming back and he played okay in, in Dubai at a, a 65 I think he did and then um, he's played well in Saudi but when you look at his actually PGA Tour form it's miscut, 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 miscut and right. you know this is the players championship you can't afford to be anywhere near off your game so I do think that would be an interesting way to, to look at Alex Norris. Yeah I, I, I'm I don't think I can get that top Swede market in the book that I uh, subscribe <laughs> to because I'm I'm here in Washington D.C. and it's not as as, as a robust a market. Um, but I, I love that. I don't have any problem laying that. <laughs> Some of the other um, matchups I looked at, and this is this is testament to you because I don't generally tend to look at tournament matchups. I'm very much focused on outrights. So I do a first round leader article, so they're all those kind of you talk about those places where you lose money. That's what I have to do every week. Um, <laughs> And uh, luckily, I've been on a really good run this year, so it's kind of gone well, but it, it doesn't happen like that too often. But I liked um, Brooks Kepka over Joaquin Neiman as an underdog, uh, minus 102. I thought that like was um, one way of taking Brooks on again. Um, Colin Morikawa over John Rahm. If we think Colin Morikawa is going to win, you might as well take him over over the guy at plus money. And the other one was Hideki uh, plus money over Daniel Berger. Um, I... Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say I'm I'm all over Hideki this week. I think yeah. he's he's a, a a perfect kind of um, at at the perfect kind of price point. Um, again, if you go through the metrics of how he's performed this year, uh, um, he, he's tippy top. Uh, you know, two outright wins over the sort of wraparound schedule. Like I I just I can't get enough of Hideki across um, all, all the markets. So him against Berger um, for sure feels like good value. And he's made five or seven cuts here and, and crucially shot that course record 63 
uh, when he got cancelled in 2020 as well. So I've done that sucker thing of betting him in the first round leader market uh, because he's led twice uh, at the Players' Championship. But again, just more what you talked about earlier, more sensible bets is to take these matchups, to take these placement uh, markets. I, I do like him over Daniel Berger. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with the Players' Championship. I know that was... Uh, a lot of verbal diarrhea there, House. Um, it, what do you mean? <laughs> no, we're trying to help the, the, the good people with a little return on investment. And, you know, you want everybody to understand at least the perspective. Where are we coming from? What's the reason? What's the rationale? We're just not picking names out of a hat and saying, oh, this, this guy, he's number one in the world. Why would that bet him to win the golf tournament? So, I mean, you know, again, if you, you understand, you're going to, you're more likely to lose than win. So, yep. <laughs> as long yep. as you know that and you, you're not, you know, playing with, with the mortgage, with the grocery money, um, and that there are a couple of ways to enjoy the golf tournament. Now, I haven't had a chance to read your first round leader selection yet. Let yeah. me hear some insight on that because that is a market I don't dabble in very often. That's the one with that I just feel like is, you know, funny money but i'm interested very much in your perspective on this. so so before i started doing it so i do uh, do uh, an article for odds checker and before i did that i just used to call first round leaders dart throws right and, yes. and that still is what they're called and yes it absolutely is but the more i looked into it and it, and it kind of applied more at the the multi-course events earlier in the year because you could see where guys had played well you know Sepp Strucker had a very good record on the stadium course uh, during yeah. the American Express so I liked that and things like that um but last week I, I did Rory McIlroy to be the first round leader and he obviously cashed that which was nice Fantastic. at 26 to 1 Fantastic. um my my original thing that I kind of used to do is I kept trying to get these outsiders that I never thought could win um but could start fast and I, and I did it by so my my the website I use is called Tour Tips, and the parameters you can kind of put um, anyone that's been within two shots of the first round lead, and how many times they've done it, and, and it kept throwing up guys like Wyndham Clark's been within two of the first round lead twenty times in his career. I'm making that number up and exaggerating, yeah. but um, that was kind of how I did it. So I looked at guys that have not necessarily led after round one too often, but generally always been in the hunt on a Thursday. So. I've landed on, um, and these are these are very simple ones because it's the Players' Championship, but I've landed on John Rahm, Patrick Cantlay, and Hideki Matsuyama at the top, and then Russell Henley and Brian Harmon again uh, in this market. So I'll kind of give, I'll pick and choose a couple of those. So we talked about Hideki, and he shot that opening round 63 here in 2020, um, and he also opened with a 67 in 2015 to co-lead, which was when it was tougher. And yeah. I think I like the... I like the ability to either shoot low or high and and in any sort of conditions and play well. So I like that about that. And he's also opened with rounds of 66 or better four times this season already, uh, including the 64 at the Zozo, which obviously uh, saw him lead there and, and go on to win. So to me, that would that was you know very beneficial. Both the times that he's led, he teed off around the eight o'clock uh, in the morning mark. He's teeing off at 7:40 a.m. Uh, this week. The only concern house that I had, and I think you guys kind of touched upon this um, on your show as well, was he's come off he come off that really hard week at Bay Hill and his yeah. last two events at Riviera and Bay Hill. So that is the only quite concern I have with Matsuyama. Yeah, I was going to ask you. He was um, one of the only handful of folks that were under par on Sunday. Now I did, you know, um, take it, and I'm going to play your Hideki first round leader. I mean, I'm just going to do it. I'm jumping cool. all over it. I love the analysis. I love the thinking. 
um, I feel like it wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't in the final four or five groups. Yeah. So he was able to go out and sort of work his way around the golf course in a way that as, as stressful <laughs> as that experience was, it was a stress-free-ish kind of round for Hideki. He doesn't have the mental anguish that we heard coming out of Rory when he walked up the golf course. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think I think it's really important that he wasn't in the heat of the battle. And to give some substance to the, to the biggest outright, which was, um, you know, Brian Harmon at 100 to 1, um, you know, we've already talked about, you, you mentioned at the top of the show, right, that he was third and eighth here in his last two starts. That's, you know, impressive in itself. But he opened with a 66 uh, in 2019 to sit one back of Keegan Bradley and Tommy Fleetwood's first round lead. Uh, in 2021, he shot 67 to sit two back of Sergio Garcia's lead. And as I said to you before, I've kind of looked at that metric of being within two of the first round lead. Um, he's got his kind of mojo back, I think. But even at the start of the season when he was playing poor golf, he was still starting okay in the first round. And, you know, he's opened with rounds of 68, 67, 67, 66, 67, 67, 68 all season long. Um, and he's been within the two of that first round lead, as I mentioned, 28 times in his career. Um and three times of those came in 2021. So the fact let's that only... go, let's <laughs> yeah. go, Tommy Jacob, let's go, Brian only... Harmon, our guy. <laughs> the only reason that he um, he just feels due, right? It just feels like he's going to yes. do it in the first round. You know, maybe not yes. win it, like I said earlier. Um, he's only co-led twice in his career after day one, but you know, crucially, he just seems to get off to fast starts. Loves Pete Dye, and he's teeing off at 6:45 a.m. I mean, what a great time to start the Players Championship. Um, going to be excited as long as he's not a guy that drinks on a Wednesday night um, he's probably going to be good so uh, yeah, um, I don't think that's Brian Harmon's vibe no I think he's okay so yeah. you know as we say this is this is kind of coffee money fun coupon type things I don't think you that's want to it. kind of bet mortgage plays on a first round leader markets I certainly don't um, <laughs> to look into those those matchups and, and placement bets for those sort of things but um, House, unless you've got anything else to add on the Players' Championship, I'm going to let you get out of here because we've been talking for over an hour. I promised you an hour, um, and I know you've got no pressure to, to kind of get off the line, but um, <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel like I've taken enough of your time. Well, no, I, I wanted to make sure that I got your first-round leader analysis, and, and you were very generous to give it and to, to share it. So I feel – because, I, I mean – I don't want to tell you how many bets I've already made on this tournament. You know, the, the, the market, when it opened up, you know, Monday um, was very different from even, you know, we're taping this on a Tuesday night. The odds have moved yeah. quite a bit, both at the top and then all the way through. I missed out on Kepka at 50, um, where, where he opened up Sunday night into, into Monday. But I'm still happy with the 38 that I got him at. But Tommy Jacobs, anytime you want me on the Lost Four Words uh, podcast, I am here for you, my friend. I'm telling you, we're going to exchange numbers so that we can be text buddies on some of this stuff. And I've really enjoyed coming on. House, I really appreciate you. Um, you know, I think the the insight into your career, um, both, you know, in the podcasting world and day-to-day life was, was certainly excellent and, and a big reason why I wanted to have you on. But just chatting that Players' Championship with you was, was really enjoyable. And, and I really enjoy uh, all the positive comments you said as well. So thank you very much for, for the hour of your time. And uh, I look forward to catching up soon. Let's 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 go make some money, buddy. Let's, let's do go, it. Let's go collect some winners.